Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with All Grace. I have a fascinating guest today. We're going to talk about a subject that in our 300 plus episodes we've never talked about before. My guest is Christina Dent, and she's a conservative Christian who once supported criminalizing drugs, but still does in some ways, until she became a foster parent and saw the negative effects up close. She went on a journey to learn why drug-related harm isn't decreasing and became convinced it's because the criminal justice system is the wrong tool for addressing drugs. In 2017, she began hosting book discussions in her home state of Mississippi using Johan Hari's book, I hope I pronounced that right, Chasing the Screen, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. In those discussions, we got hundreds of people, which led to End It for Good, becoming a 501c3 nonprofit in 2019. Christina invites people to explore how addressing drugs and drug use as a complex health issue could dramatically reduce crime, overdose deaths, and the destabilization of families. Christina founded End It for Good from the same passion that led her to foster care, helping children, families, and communities thrive. She isn't advocating drug use. She's advocating approaches to drugs that prioritize life and the opportunity to thrive. So quite a mission. And welcome, Christina. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Paul. It's really great to be with you. I always start out asking our guests, how's your growing understanding of grace and the unconditional love of God? How's it changed your relationships family, friends, the marketplace, and everywhere. And it would seem to me that there's probably a pretty good tie-in with Grace here of what you've been learning and advocating about this particular instance. So I just want to turn it over to you and have you educate us because most of us probably aren't aware of the problem that you're addressing. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there in that in terms of kind of the spiritual journey that this journey has taken me on, I would say that's probably kind of the crux of what I have come away with is this deeper and renewed understanding of the grace of God and the equality of people in front of Him. And as much as I might have said that previously, really experiencing it in a new way and realizing some of the blind spots in my own heart where that hadn't actually taken hold. You know, one of my Bible study teachers in years past, so he's used to talk about functional belief. And she would say, you know, there's things we believe intellectually, and then there's our functional belief. That's what we actually live out of. And I found that to be such a helpful concept and that what it really, and on this issue and talking about people who are using drugs, people struggling with addiction, I really came to grips with the fact that my functional belief about people in those categories was very different from what I would have said my intellectual belief was or how I saw them. And so I'll kind of dive in and tell you the story of what ended up really bringing me to this sort of watershed moment in my own life. So I was born and raised in Mississippi, 
I was homeschooled kindergarten through high school, grew up in a wonderful Christian home, politically conservative home. My parents weren't super involved politically, but that was the culture I was in. I didn't know anybody that was not part of that culture. That was just kind of the air I breathed. And I went to a Christian university and I have a degree in Bible. So my high school and college years, drug use was never part of those years. I didn't have friends that were using drugs or even drinking. It just was not part of what we did or the culture that I was part of, admittedly a very sheltered one, but I had a great time. We, we would watch movies and eat popcorn and play games and we just had a good time. And so really my journey was I look back at it and say, that's really not one of this radically changed lifestyle. It's one of a radically changed mind. And that happened through meeting a woman named Joanne. She had been struggling with an addiction for many years and was not able to beat that addiction while she was pregnant. And so when her son was born, he was removed from her custody and put into foster care because of her prenatal drug use. And he was brought to our home. We had become foster parents about 18 months before that. We had one foster son already and felt like the Lord was leading us to say yes to this little baby we didn't really know anything about. And so he went straight from the hospital with Joanne to our home. I did not know anything about addiction at this point. I could not fathom how a mother who loved her child could possibly use drugs while she was pregnant. I had nowhere in my framework to understand that. And so I immediately thought, well, she must not love him. Clearly, this child is better off with me. And so I brought Beckham to his first visit with Joanne at the local child welfare office. And I pulled my minivan into the parking lot and I popped his car seat out of my car. I had my three other boys along with me and I turned around with Beckham in my arms and there was a woman running across the parking lot weeping and she ran over to me and just started kissing Beckham. And this was Joanne. This is the first time I'd met her. And I found myself feeling really suspicious, thinking, no way. You know, if she loved him this much, certainly she wouldn't have been using drugs while she was pregnant. And so she got to spend her one hour of visitation time with Beckham. And I left and came back to pick him up. And I walked back in the room and there she was. I'll never forget this mental picture of seeing her. He was sleeping on her shoulder. She was sitting on this couch in this little tiny visitation room at the child welfare office. And there was just this look of complete peace on her face of just drinking in these moments with her son. and. I took Beckham. He came back to my house and Joanne left for inpatient drug treatment in another part of the state. And she would call me from treatment and ask me to put her on speakerphone. And she would sing to Beckham over the phone. And the more that I got to know Joanne, the more I felt this war in my heart raging over, wait a second, these are people who I have judged, you know, people who would use drugs while they were pregnant, people who would be addicted to drugs, people who, you know, in my eyes can't get their life together. Why don't you make good decisions? Then your life will turn out well. That's kind of how I thought about my own life. See, I made good decisions. Everything turned out. And so, you know, do A, B and C will happen. And I just did not understand anything of the many complex reasons why people are struggling with an addiction or what can help them exit that addiction either. And so Joanne really for me was an experience of putting a face on a labeled group that I had sort of, I would have characterized myself as a very compassionate person. 
I feel feelings deeply. I feel others' pain deeply. And yet I realize now it's easy to have groups of people that I could just turn that off. And I think that's true for a lot of us. We can feel very compassionate towards one group of people and that compassion just dries up completely towards another group of people. And Joanne, for me, kind of brought that so close to home that it set me on a journey of trying to learn what I didn't know and just acknowledge clearly there's a lot here I don't know because I don't have anywhere in my current framework to understand what's happening. And yet, the more I get to know Joanne, the more I realize this is a mother like me who loves her son just as much as I love my three sons. And her addiction is not a lack of love. It's not a lack of desire to be free from it. It's not a lack of desire to have a thriving life. It's something else. And I know that we're putting people like Joanne in prison every day in Mississippi and across the nation. And if we've misunderstood anything about what's happening with drug use and addiction, the collateral damage of that is monumental. And I wanted to know if there was a better way other than the criminal justice system to be handling drug use and addiction. And that set me on a journey that took me into learning all kinds of other things that I didn't know that I'd love to get into. I hope you will. That is a story of compassion and grace. And I love the two phrases uh, that you used, uh, intellectual belief and functional belief. I, I haven't heard those terms, but I can certainly relate to them. And putting a face on the label, group, I, I've certainly experienced that in uh, my life. We helped start a, a free medical clinic for those who didn't have insurance, who were primarily homeless people. This was over 22 years ago and before some of the insurance things have changed. And Getting to uh, know people, putting a face on people and uh, uh, sitting across the table from them and hearing their stories, people who I had just labeled before, just melted my heart. Everybody has a story, and it's not usually the story that I came up with in in my imagination. So, yeah, please tell us more. I kind of think about it as intent versus outcome a little bit. And I think most of my life I would have said, as long as your intent is good, then you don't have to pay as much attention to the outcomes. And I think one of the things I really learned along this journey was we're not only responsible for our intent, we are responsible for the outcomes that happen because of the choices that we make, because of the policies that we make and laws that we make. And so on this journey to learn, I ended up realizing that there's actually two kinds of harm when you talk about drug harms. There's harm that comes from the substances themselves, but there's also harm that comes from criminalizing them, from banning them, from making them illegal. And the more that I learned, the more I was shocked to realize that the vast majority of harm coming from drugs today doesn't originate from the substance itself and what it's doing to people's bodies. It actually comes from what happens because of prohibition. So when you criminalize a substance, you end up having increased crime because it's pushed into an underground market now, which is only people who are going to break the law, gangs, cartels. They're the only people that are going to participate in that. So they're making lots of money, increasing lots of crime in our communities. It also increases when you criminalize a substance, you lose all potency and purity controls. And so you have a lot of contamination in the substances that people are using, which is the primary driver of the overdose crisis that we're in right now. In 2020, we had the highest overdose death rate in American history. Over 100,000 people died of a drug overdose in 2020. And the vast majority of people who died from opioid overdoses 
had fentanyl in their system. Well, fentanyl is now in drugs that people are buying on the street because it's really potent and it allows for drugs to be sold in smaller packages, you know, the higher potency, kind of like with alcohol, you can drink, you know, a six pack of beer, you can drink, you know, a lot less of hard liquor and you're going to get kind of the same impact. And so I learned that, you know, crime increases because of prohibition in the underground market, overdose deaths increase because of contamination from the substances people are using. And then when we put people in prison who are using drugs or struggling with an addiction, we're increasing the level of trauma that they experience. And we know now, uh, we've known this over the last you know couple of decades, and we especially know over the last decade, that trauma is one of the biggest instigators for addiction to occur. So we have used this punitive approach for drug use. And we actually know now that the amount of trauma that a person experiences directly corresponds to their increased risk for using drugs and developing an addiction. So we really are using the absolute worst tool to address this particular crisis because trauma and incarceration is a very traumatic experience for a person, for their family. It's designed to be that way. Trauma increases people's risk of drug use and it increases their risk of addiction. And so that's why we have this cycle, this kind of vicious cycle of harm, people cycling in and out of the criminal justice system, children growing up without their parents in the home, crime in people's communities. And so I ended up sort of backing into this realization that if my ultimate goal was to reduce harm from drugs, criminalizing them wasn't the best approach to do that because it actually increased crime, increased overdose deaths, and increased the destruction of families, which for me was just this core bedrock value. You know, I value life. I value every human life. People are made in the image of God. I believe that deeply. I value families and the people that God has allowed to come together to create a family and doing everything we can not to break apart families. And I just began to realize that what we're doing is actually causing a lot of the harm that we see. It's harm that's caused by our laws, not harm that's directly caused by a drug. And that really set me on a... a earthquake kind of journey, considering things I had never considered before. But for me, with that ultimate goal of how can we preserve life and how can we preserve families and how can we have stronger communities? Wow. Well, that's wonderful, Christina. I want to delve into that uh, some more, maybe in the next episode. But I want to ask right now, obviously, this is a passion for you. Did your husband come along with that? Your parents, your friends, were they uh, right along with you from the beginning or were they thinking, man, she's going off the deep end? Um, my husband was right there with me. So I would learn things and I would start talking with him about it. And he would be like, wow, I've never known that, never thought about that. So he was right there with me. I would say I still have a lot of friends who maybe aren't interested enough in what's happening yet to really dive in. And some who have dived in and said, no, I just, I just can't go there. I just, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason. Sure. And I don't think it's so much, I think with a lot of this issue, the way that we have talked about it in our culture, particularly in our church cultures has been only related to whether drug use is right or wrong. 
And if a person believes that it's wrong, then they have to also believe that it should be criminalized. And I really would want to gently but firmly push back on that and say, there are lots of things in the world that are wrong and we do not criminalize them. Even if you just look at the 10 commandments in the Bible, there's only two of them that are actually criminally enforced in the United States, just because something might be wrong, or we might have religious beliefs against it, or we might believe it's immoral. You know, adultery is immoral, and yet we have not chosen to go the criminal justice route with that. We can hold those intention. I don't want my children using drugs, and yet I also don't want them growing up in a world with way more crime than we would have without prohibition, with way more people dying than we would have. And with way more people incarcerated and families torn apart. So I I can hold that intention that I simultaneously Mm -hmm. don't want them using drugs. And I also believe we're actually really harming ourselves and our communities by criminalizing them. I'm 100% confident I can stand before the Lord one day and say, I held those beliefs and I believe that I was upholding the value of human life by doing that. Well, I think you can too. And it seems to me that's what Jesus did over and over again in his life, the woman in adultery. I mean, we know that that's, wrong. That's not good. But he said, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to judge you. And I don't do that anymore because it, you know, it's harmful. But I think when we start to understand Jesus' love, unconditional love and compassion and grace for people, that starts to erode away. And it's, it takes a while, at least for me, starts to erode away our judgmental attitude. And, you know, Jesus said, don't judge or you're going to be judged. And I, you know, I think when we judge, we're kind of putting ourselves in the place of God. And well, you know, I, I kind of went to preaching there, but we don't know all the situation. We don't know all the things behind that. And so just uh, locking somebody up arbitrarily with not knowing everything behind it or the situation, it doesn't seem very Christ-like to me. Yeah, it is a huge challenge. It's it's hard to see that happening. You know, the longer that I've done this work, the more people's stories that I hear. And it's really heartbreaking what's happening to a lot of families. And because we keep our jails and our prisons out of view, and because it is people feel so much stigma from having a family member who's incarcerated, we don't really hear and we don't really see the true nature of what's happening in our communities and just how many people are being arrested or spending some time in jail or prison. And that takes a massive toll, not just on you know taxpayer dollars, but on really the fabric of our communities and the the moral weight of our, you know, what we're doing with people. And I feel that weight in my own soul. My mom used to tell me all the time growing up, she would say, I have to stand before the Lord one day. And so even if you don't like the way that I parent, I'm parenting the way that I believe I can stand before the Lord and say, I followed my conscience. I followed my convictions. And that's what I have done with this is said, I believe that we are doing something that is harming people unnecessarily. And I think when people are harmed unnecessarily, when they're harmed at all, I think that breaks the heart of God. And we need to reassess, not just do I believe something's right or wrong, but how do we use our laws around that? And are our laws actually creating more harm or are they helping people? So for Joanne, she ended up being able to go to treatment. She was able to regain custody of Beckham and she has been sober now since he was a baby and is doing well. She is working with other people, helping them get into treatment. And so that is a wonderful end of the story. And that doesn't always happen. There's a lot of people who they've been to treatment eight, nine, 10, 11 times. But it could only happen that way because she's not sitting in prison. We know what the outcome would be 
if she was in prison and Beckham was growing up without her. But we have an opportunity for it to have a positive outcome for her complex health crisis of addiction to be handled in a way that is health centered rather than trying to punish it out of her. And you can ask just about any family out there who's dealt with addiction and they'll tell you, we've tried everything. We've tried shaming and blaming and we've left them in jail for a week. And we have tried force in all these different ways. And as much as we have wanted it to work, it hasn't worked. And there's a reason for that. People need to be able to make those decisions for themselves. And that the best way we can enable people to make those decisions is to provide them with a culture where they can find meaning and purpose and relationships and belonging and connection. And sometimes that's a long road for people to develop that, but that is the pathway out of addictions of all kinds, whether it's drugs or, you know, iPhones or whatever it is, (laughs) ice cream, we're all struggling with things that we misuse. Well, Christina, our time is almost up, but what a wonderful passion that you have and you speak so eloquently about it. And in our next episode, I'd like to ask you what you're seeing happen from that and other places maybe around the world that are doing things differently that we can learn from. But as we get ready to close now, tell people how they can connect with you and how they can learn more about this issue. Yeah, they can go to enditforgood.com. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter there. There's also different resources there. I was honored to give a TEDx talk a couple of years ago on this journey of changing my mind. And so if you've been hearing some of these ideas that Paul and I have been talking about and are thinking, wow, this is kind of mind bending. I, I might need to hear this again, or maybe in a little different way, you can just look up on Google TEDx Christina Dent, and it'll pull that up. And it has some visuals that go along with that that might be helpful. And you can find End It For Good across social media platforms at End It For Good MS. And you can find me across those platforms at Christina B. Dent. And I would love to connect with you. You can email me at Christina at enditforgood.com. Feel free to send me all your thoughts, questions, pushback, feedback. I love it. This is what I do is start conversations with people. And we exist to create great dialogue around, can we change the way we approach drugs to save lives and help more people thrive? Great. Well, gosh, I hope people will connect with you. And I want to uh, start getting your newsletter and be more informed myself and we'll see what happens with that. But we'll be back on the next episode and you'll hear the next episode a week later, but we'll be sitting in the same place wearing the same clothes. But we actually do bathe and uh, shave and all of that kind of stuff. We're just recording uh, two in a row. (laughs) So Christina, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Paul. Thank you all for being with us for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.